So, uh, hello and welcome to the Sulp Niar Pool. I'm Diana. And I'm Andrew. And uh, today we're going to be talking about Animorphs number two, The Visitor. For those of you just tuning in, we are two people that are interested in the Animorphs. Each episode of the podcast will be doing a read-through of one book. My name is Andrew. I'm a 20-something-year-old person. A young professional. I'm a young professional. I first started reading the Animorphs when I was a kid, and I read them uh, haphazardly, I guess. Then I, I really wanted to evangelize, so then I converted my fellow host, Diana. That's me. So yeah, so then I read all the Animorphs books like in one summer. It was awesome. And now here we are to uh, spread the love, so yeah. to speak. Okay, so should we talk about number two, The Visitor? Yeah, let, let's let's uh, jump right in. Yeah. Oh, and as a reminder, we're going to not spoil anything for the first part. Yeah, this is a... Spoiler-free zone. Okay, so here we are. The book is number two, The Visitor, and we're assuming people have read the first book, right? If they're yes, listening. Yes, yeah. Anyway, so... Uh, the Visitor was released in June 1996, which is the same month as the first book. Wow. So I don't know if Wikipedia is just getting a little bit lazy in their dates. But anyway, so the top um, the top songs for uh, at the time at which this was released, I was just going to name two more songs sure, from yeah. a similar period. Um, well, did, you, did we do the first week of June last time or something? Uh, we did June 29th. Oh, I was just gonna do... I was just gonna say more... I mean, the number three song. So I talked about the number one and two songs mm-hmm. last time. So the number three song was You're Making Me High by Tony Braxton. Ooh, interesting. So you're listening to Tony Braxton. You're That's reading The of, Visitor. Uh, apropos, right? However you say that word. That is how you say that word, but why is it apropos? You're Making Me High? I feel like it fits in with the... The first couple scenes. Of oh, the... because of the flying. Yeah, because okay, of the flying. Well, so, great segue. So, we open nice on Rachel, who will not tell you her last name. And, uh, oh, and on the very first page, we mentioned the thermals again. We learned what they were in the first book. We're getting a repeat mention of thermals. And uh, mm-hmm. why are they talking about thermals? Oh, what is a thermal also? Uh, a thermal is like, it's a warm current of air that goes upwards and makes soaring really easy to do it's like an elevator in the sky or something like that that's correct um thank you the books all are really good about recapping the situation throughout the first chapters so i think the first several chapters are like recap re- woven through almost throwaway scenes you know well yeah i mean so at the very end of the last book Tobias turns into a hawk, but they're like they don't they don't tell you that for the first few chapters of this. They're, they're just oh, I was actually it, gonna, gonna bring that, bring that up. Okay, so so the animorphs are flying around. Rachel is kind of recapping the situation for us as she's narrating this flying around, and then they find out that they're being shot at by a couple of punks. Oh, and I wanted to point something out too about the um, so like. Rachel is a I think I think right now in this scene they're all um morphed as birds of the same gender as their human selves, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I was like thinking as I was reading this, like, oh that's weird, like they never they never talk about any kind of like 
identity mix-ups where like they're morphing something that's the other yeah like a different gender so far yeah so later. far but then like, exactly yeah right. okay so they're being shot at then they dive bomb through the trees and rachel jacks the guy's rifle and marco steals the beer can then they fly back to an abandoned church <laughs> they morph back to human and oh yeah so rachel has gotten a bad haircut and she's morphing back. She's like, I wish I could just fix my haircut, mm -hmm. but that's not how it works, mm -hmm. which is weird to me because, like, you can fix injuries, but not your haircut. I know. I was thinking about that, too. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all. But I guess it would just be too weird to have them have to concentrate on the hairdo every time. Well, because plus also, like, the alternative is that every time you morph back, you have, like, a different length of hair. Yeah. I don't there know. are a lot of things about morphing that are weird, though, right? Because it's like, for example, if you if you morph something, and this is gonna, I'm going to talk about this later in the book, but like, if you morph a certain animal, mm -hmm. like who's to say what length the fur is on the animal? You know what I mean? Yeah. I guess I I'm thinking for the sake of like maintaining mm -hmm. consistency in the series, I'm thinking it's like there's a difference between something that you're morphing and returning to yourself. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess we see that if you're injured as a human and then you morph something and morph back, I guess your injuries are gone in that case. Yeah. But there must be something but not different about, about like, mutable but still, like, aspects that are part of you. You know what I mean? So there are things that are changeable, right? There's, like, hair length. There's how fat you are or how skinny you are. Yeah. And, like, the alternative would be that, like, you could just morph yourself back, but then you're, like, no longer I'll just fat. imagine myself like, really attracted now. Well, sure. And or, like, I'll imagine taller. that that pimple is gone. Like oh, the pimp yeah. You know what I mean? Like, your DNA doesn't, like, dictate things yeah. like that, but... I think it's clear that the DNA provides, like, a blueprint, right? But it's interesting in what is captured in that blueprint. Well, no, but I'm just saying, like, if it were true that you could change things like that, like, you could change hair length and change how fat or skinny you were or like how clear your skin was then at what point are you just like becoming a different Ooh, yeah. person you know what i mean yeah i see like because you know if you could change your hair dude then like what if rachel's like you know what when i morph back this time i'm gonna morph me but with a mohawk then she it's like is that. she still morphing rachel or is she morphing like rachel with a mohawk you know what i mean yeah like, yeah i don't know but then the injuries thing you know i know i feel like those, are, those two aspects are hard to resolve. Well, it's also like, why is it the case that like when you morph something, you morph its uninjured self? I guess I guess the idea is that you're like growing it yeah. from like from a stem, stem cell. cells. Yeah. Or like from, from an embryonic yes. version. Yeah. So... <laughs> My theory has taken hold. But the thing is, even when you grow like bones, like injuries still, like tiny micro fissures can still occur like th mm -hmm. there are so many things that are weird about morphing and like because in in real life when things grow they can be represented in a bunch of different ways like long hair short hair or whatever anyway so it's weird but moving on what happens next okay um so yeah so woven into this is her recap and in the recap we're at the point where she's introducing her friends She's already introduced the, like, I can't tell you my name or whatever. So, yeah, she's saying, like, Cassie has a natural talent for morphing. 
they've learned to morph clothes, which is good. Not yeah. all of them could do that. Last <laughs> book. Um, I think they had figured it out by the end. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, she's like, just so you know, when you're imagining this in your head, I am totally clothed. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And then Jake is her cousin. Cassie is my best friend. You know, she's described. Oh, then she describes herself. I thought this was interesting. Um, mm. She says, I guess you could, some people say I'm pretty. I don't know. I just like nice clothes. Maybe some people think that I'm stuck up or something. Um, but it's what's in your head that counts. So yeah, I remember we had talked about this when you first read the books, but I want to hear your thoughts about this. Well, okay. I have thoughts about this and then I have thoughts about what she says right after that. But mm-hmm. so she bugs me, Ooh. especially in the first few books, especially I, I don't know if I had read this book. Because I had read, like, one or two in mm-hmm. middle school. And I feel like this might have been one of them. Because I remember being like, Ugh. you know, Rachel's the classic, like, oh, she's really pretty, but she, like, doesn't even notice it or, like, doesn't even care about it. And it's like, yeah, I I don't know. I just, it rubs me the wrong way in these, like, early books when it's like, really? You're, like, super fashionable, like, prob- like, you know, I'm imagining she probably has, like, really good skin, really good hair, all this mm-hmm. stuff, and she doesn't care about it. Like, yeah, not only is she that, doesn't like... care about it, I mean, yeah, because, like, like you said, after this little part where she describes herself, she's like, I think it's just what's in your head that counts, you know? But are you saying that but like, it's like, you don't believe that? Well, she clearly cares about fashion, Yeah. right? So she does, nice like, clothes. care about how she looks, you know? Yeah. So, like, there, it's it's hard for me to be cool with those characters that, like, like they're the hot one, but they're like, oh, no, I just care about what's inside of you. Because, like, in a lot of situations, mm-hmm. being the hot one, like, means to a certain extent that you have to be, like, taking care of yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, pro- and usually... You know, I, I mean, Animarch isn't the best example of this, but, like, usually you're taking care of yourself, like, to an extent that other people aren't. Like, buying yourself nice clothes or, like, getting a whatever. Maybe she, like, uses a face mask or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, like, so she has nice skin. And, like, I just don't... I never have been a fan of the, like, the standard that there can be people who just are super attractive without without, putting in work yeah which like you know i know that that exists but especially for like the 10 year old girls out Mm -hmm. there reading animorphs like i don't want them to feel like like they're either a cassie or rachel exactly yeah and i was thinking about that as i was and if you're you know don't even bother because rachel doesn't try to look good she just is flawless yeah well it's frustrating because i was thinking while i was reading this like Mm mm-hmm Am I a Cassie or a Rachel? Ooh. And then I was I was thinking, like, both of those are kind of extremes, and probably most girls who mm-hmm. are reading this and trying to, like, identify with one of them really identify as, like, a mixture of the two, yeah. which is, like, fine, but I don't feel like that's the same for, like, Jake, Tobias, and Marco in the same way. Like, they are kind of their own trope, but it's not the same, like, dichotomy. And Mm. then Rachel goes on to further illustrate this dichotomy because she says, like, 
I only care about what's in your head. But then Cassie, but Cassie would, say, would say that it's what's in your heart that counts. And I don't know. I don't really like that that much either because it's like, why does it need to be one or the other? Why can't I care about what's in your eyes or your stomach? Well, no, you know Ooh, what I, I mean. Like it's that, like... Actually. It's what's in your stomach that counts. <laughs> no, I don't know. I think... So, like, it sounds like Rachel's talking about what's in your head as in, you know, she cares about being smart. Yeah. Which is also weird because you normally think of Rachel as, like, the fighter, even though she is, like, smart. Or at least, like, school smart. And then Cassie, like, cares most about... Having a good heart. Yeah, like, love and stuff. Which is weird because... I don't know, I don't think those two are opposites of each other. Like... You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even like even in this book, Rachel goes on to talk about you know later in the book how important love is and like all this stuff and like yeah. so yeah. I don't know I don't really like the Cassie Rachel dichotomy. End of soapbox. I see. I I like that soapbox. I thought that was uh, said some interesting things. Well, yeah, maybe it's like a female, whatever something gender roles. Something know. about gender roles. <laughs> yeah. For a female perspective, we turn to a woman. <laughs> so now they're walking home. And this is where Kay Applegate, like, officially retracts the earlier idea that humans could thought speak when they're Oh, because doesn't she morphed. say, like... Yeah, she's like, well, Tobias is flying above them, and Rachel is like, yep, we definitely can't thought speak to Tobias. Nope, we can't no, do we that. No, we can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That did not happen. That was, that was very clear. <laughs> okay, so they, they pass by the construction site, which kind of allows Rachel to further recap the whole situation right how convenient i know that they're walking the same way and oh i thought this was interesting she's describing elfanger being killed by viscer three oh and she was like ask jake about that yeah she's like uh i'm not gonna tell you you can ask jake about that." which is great because jake narrated that book (laughs) yeah you can go read book number one is basically what she's saying right there (laughs) right well and you should yeah number one was great um so they basically decide that they're going to try to spy on Melissa somehow or or just see, use Rachel's relationship with Melissa to investigate what Chapman's been up to. Because Melissa Chapman is good friends with Rachel and she's the daughter of Chapman, who's the assistant principal at their school. If you're listening for the recap or read book one. Oh, yeah. If you listened to the previous episode of this yeah. podcast um, or any if you just listened to the first episode of any Animorphs podcast. But anyway. Um, Don't do that. Don't go. Okay, so we open on Rachel in her gymnastics class at the YMCA. Enter Melissa. She is described as looking like a solemn Tolkien elf, which I thought was interesting, given our, like, conversation in the previous episode about how Rachel is kind of elf-like. Yeah, I know. I was thinking that, too, because, like... Like, that's high praise for Melissa, who's kind of a bit character. Well, but also... Her description does not sound like an elf. She's, like, very small and, yeah, like, muscular. Are, and know. elves are, like, tall and willowy, like Rachel. So I think I think she was just saying that she is small and athletically built, mm-hmm. uh, which is how she's described. And I guess, in theory, elves are, like, small, but not, like, Tolkien elves, which I thought was weird. Yeah. Small elves Unless are, like, the like a hobbit. elves, Did you know? Hobbit? I don't. I don't think Applegate would mess up that badly. I th- yeah. I think she was just trying to say like. I think she was trying to name drop Tolkien. Yeah, and and really just describe Melissa as like nymph like, like she could be a gymnast was yeah. what she was saying. 
Okay, so Melissa has been kind of aloof lately. Rachel invites her to come to the mall to shop, but then Melissa refuses, so Rachel is, is bummed out and goes home alone. Yeah, I felt really bad about that because Rachel has this really sad realization that Melissa, who is her second best friend after Cassie, so like very close, she realizes that Melissa's probably been like feeling terrible or like has has gotten all distant and it looks like she's sad too. Mm-hmm. And Rachel didn't notice this at all until this moment mm-hmm. where she's really only acting like she's interested in what's going on with Melissa. She's not actually, you know, she's just doing it to get to her. Yeah. You know, I felt, I don't know, that was like kind of deep because I've definitely had that happen where like, you know, you drift apart from one of your friends and you're like, oh yeah, we're definitely still close. But then you see each other it's like, oh, maybe I should care about this person because we used to be so close. I don't know. I just like felt really bad about that. Um, Because that's, I don't know. I feel like that's happened to me. So yeah. So anyway, so Rachel goes home alone. She's very sad. And then um, Ooh, this scene. as she's walking home, this guy who I guess in theory is like an older teenager. Um, is it high school or college? Yeah. So older teenager. um, Like pulls over in his car that he's driving and asks her he's just like being creepy you know mm-hmm. yeah and then he's like get in the car sweetheart or something along those lines right i um, feel like this is i was thinking about this because like the people reading this are probably not old enough to have had this happen to them or this exact thing happen mm-hmm. to them but it's like a good warning you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, also, one thing I thought was interesting is Rachel describes herself as being, like, careless, and she's kind of blaming herself. And then, you Victim know... Victim blaming. Am yeah, I right? I, that, that's what I have in my notes. Then he tells her to get in the car, but then she runs away and morphs Elephant while running, which is pretty awesome, and then scares him off. Yeah, I mean... Like, what is Kay Applegate trying to say with this scene? When she's like, well... Well, no, honestly, I think she's trying to um, introduce the, like, the idea that you shouldn't necessarily, like, morph just, like, whenever. Mm -hmm. Because so far, like we saw with them morphing birds and, like, stealing the rifle from those guys to teach them a lesson, like, so far they've had no problem with, like, Mm -hmm. acting in a way that animals wouldn't normally act or just, like, morphing for the sake of it. And this scene is... And, you know, the ensuing action is where you start thinking, like, oh, maybe we shouldn't just, like, morph anytime. It's helpful. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, because then later Chapman drives up and Rachel's like, oh, my gosh, did he see me more? For, like, all this stuff. Yeah. And so, but the the language that you're talking about, the victim blaming, quote unquote, um, I don't think that's part of the teaching them that morphing isn't always good. Mm-hmm. I think that is, like, different. I think it's part of just trying to put Rachel's voice into the situation. Although, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't think that it was very consistent with how I normally think of Rachel. Yeah. I I would have thought that she would be like, man, I'm amazing. I should have morphed all the way to Elephant and like stomped on his car. Even before that, I think that saying like, oh, I should have run. This, this is what I was thinking when I was reading it. She was like, oh, I should have run back to the mall, but instead I didn't. I was like, why do you think that would have been better? Like, he could have just still followed you. Yeah, like, he has a car. Yeah, there's no reason to think that she should have done one thing over another. Honestly, I think that it was, like, an awkwardly written okay, scene. Okay, yeah. Okay, so then she's running off. Uh, the Chapmans pull up in their in their van. 
And I thought this was like really, really good like parallelism. There's like a creepy guy who tells her to get in the car, you know, and he's like an everyday thug or whatever mm-hmm. who probably, you know, he's like a, a would-be kidnapper or rapist, right? Then Chapman drives up who is like, you know, an evil space alien. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I thought you're this like, was... which is worse? I know, yeah. Oh, no! I, I just thought it was an interesting example of like yeah, parallel I think structure. About that. Yeah, that's um, good. Yeah. This is kind of like a turn towards bad people as the bad guy to like, now we're fighting the Yerks, I guess. So then there's a scene where Rachel's in the car with Mr. Chapman and Melissa Chapman. Mm-hmm. And during the whole scene, like they're having this sort of casual conversation and Rachel keeps saying like, oh, is Chapman threatening me by saying that? What I is know he, where you live. He, yeah. He says, I know where you live. And she's like, oh my gosh, was that a threat? But but there's no mm-hmm. there's no reason that he would suspect her of anything because Rachel has not been connected to any kind of Andalite Yerk stuff. You know, mm-hmm. all of the Yerks still think that the morphed people they saw in the last book were Andalite bandits. So she really wasn't in any danger. I'm sure it was just like, you know, they saw her with some guy and Chapman was like, you know, I need to act normal and a normal person in this situation would offer her a ride. This is my daughter's friend, Mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, maybe even Melissa was like, oh, that's Rachel. Can we give her a ride or something? And Chapman was like, ugh. Exactly. Stupid spawn. So there's no reason to think that he would have suspected her of anything at this point. Yeah. Okay, so then Rachel gets home, um, so we're kind of introduced to her family. Mm-hmm. Her mom is a lawyer. Her parents are divorced. I know, this definitely implies to me that she is upper middle class. Well, there's, you know, the shopping all the time, liking nice clothes. Yeah, you know? where's she getting that money, you know? Well, from her mom, who's a lawyer, and her dad, who is, you know... Who's a, not there, yeah. A weatherman. Yeah, so she... So yeah, both parents are working at high-paying jobs. Yeah, contrast this with, like, Marco's family, right? Where he right. has one parent who's, or like, Tobias not even total working. Or Tobias' lack of a family. Yeah, or Tobias, who has, like, literally no family that we have talked about. And by comparison, Rachel's, like, doing pretty well. Her mom's like, oh, we'll just order food tonight, just, like, yeah. every night. I don't feel like cooking or whatever, or I don't have time to cook. Who does? Right. And then she calls up Jake, and she's like, want to listen to the new CD. Pretty cool. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a code. Then they meet up. And yeah, so this is where they kind of chew her out for doing that morphing thing. Yeah, well, we kind of discussed this. Yeah. Okay, and then they are like, "Sounds like your relationship with Melissa is pretty shot, so we have to go after Chapman some other way. Um, why don't we bust into his house? How do we do that?" And then I thought this was like a cool TV moment. They're looking around for racking their brains for how we can break into Chapman's house, and then Rachel sees the picture of Fluffer McKitty, which mm-hmm. was taken from. Yeah, she has this, like, very vivid description of the picture frame with, like, all these pictures in it. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, You can imagine it's, like, ooh. Yeah. Then zoom in on a picture of Rachel and Melissa and Fluffer McKitty. Speaking of which, Fluffer McKitty... Is a shitty pet name. You know, I think it's probably Marco who points out. And Melissa Chapman has a pretty shitty home life. No, she doesn't. Her her parents love her. They gave her that cat as a birthday present. And this is... Possibly. Ooh, I don't think this so is too much down. of a spoiler. Yeah, I was. I wrote down to talk about your theory. I don't think this is too much of a spoiler, but the way in which later in the books, in the in this book, we see Mr. and Mrs. Chapman mm-hmm. fighting for their daughter mm-hmm. is possibly the strongest fight we ever see 
put on by a host no, against I, I, their, I, I or by a controller against their host. The strongest fight. So I we we can ask our better, legions of fans. Well, right. Yeah. All What's right. our email? Uh, the Sulpniar pool at gmail. Is it the Sulpniar? No, it's just Sulpniar pool at gmail.com. We'll have like a jingle that we do with it. Okay, um, but I was just thinking they could like listen and be like, "Oh, I want to email them right now. I don't yeah, even want to get to the end of the podcast." If you want to weigh in right now about whether Fluffer McKitty is an example or counterexample of my theory that bad pet names are related to a bad home life, you can email sulpniarpool at gmail dot com. S U L P N I A R P O O L at gmail dot com. I have an extension of your theory that I'll propose during the spoiler zone. <laughs> So then, okay, they're going to go get Fluffer. They find Fluffer, so they decide to bait him with a mouse. And then Tobias flies off and brings back a shrew instead of a mouse. I was wondering if this is, like, some sort of shrew joke. Well, I think part of it might have been set up for Marco's joke about Rachel. Yeah, can you, that, can that's you what I was thinking. Yourself? Yeah, because it would have worked exactly the same with a mouse, you know. Um, yeah, okay. I guess that's true. Yeah. Well, it also demonstrates, like, Cassie's expert knowledge about mice versus shrews she's like by the way mm, true it does point that out okay yeah and the shrew she morphs a shrew and it's super afraid all the time i actually thought we could have a dramatic reading here uh there's this passage that i thought was good okay by the way a shrew is an unpleasant ill-tempered woman characterized by scolding nagging and aggression i see you okay applegate even though Rachel hasn't really been that shrewy so far in the series. I mean, what other, like, small animals are there that are also mean a woman? Actually, I think we'll save the dramatic reading for later. Okay. Um, so, she's, yeah, so she, she marched the shrew, and ki- this is kind of similar to the scene in the previous book where Jake morphs a lizard, but Rachel is completely overcome by the shrew's instincts, basically, mm-hmm. and she feels like everything is a predator she's surrounded she's in a wide open area she needs to escape so she starts running away obviously the other animorphs are like come rachel. on rachel <laughs> don't do that snap out of it um but it's really hard and that was making me think that um and later they sort of talk about this but that was making me wonder if prey animals are more difficult to control which is kind of like what mm-hmm. uh rachel and jake talk about later but they talk more about bigger more dominant animals being easier to control which is like the inverse mm-hmm. I think, you know, humans are predators, so I think it's like we would have an easier time with the predator's mind and a hard time with the prey animal. Well, I actually think it's not that as much as, like, if you're a predator, you don't constantly need to be thinking about escape Mm -hmm. in the same way. And and you also don't need to constantly be thinking about getting food. Like, you will need to get food, but Mm -hmm. it's not something that's always on your mind necessarily. In the same way that, like, when Rachel morphs shrew, it's like, oh my gosh, so hungry and like I could I need be to eaten eat at any moment. Exactly, and so I think it's more just about having a mind that's not constantly active, mm-hmm. which is more of the case for predator- predators. But um, but also, so that made me think about so the shrew's really hungry, but they could they morph animals all the time that like aren't particularly hungry. Like, what is it about being a shrew? Anyway. Maybe you should have concentrated on a full stomach. I know, yeah, that's the... And, like, where do the contents of her stomach just, like, go into the shrew? Like, the, how does yeah, that... Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Okay, so so Tobias suits her up and is like, 
I think this is another way to like build the rapport, not really rapport, but like the relationship between Rachel and Tobias. And he's like, Rachel, it's me, you know, what have you think about something human. Think about school. Remember school? And then she's like, oh, f- school. I remembered school. And then she like immediately snaps back to being a human, which I thought was interesting. It wasn't like, remember my, you know, tender eyes or like, remember some deep thing that remember our fight for, for humanity. It was like, think about school. It's true. This it's is like that feeling from... when you realize there's homework you didn't do. That's just like, that's, I think that's a really powerful feeling. And maybe he's trying to invoke <laughs> that. It is a very human feeling, but it's also different from like, like in Harry Potter, you like in order to fight the Dementors, you have to think about like love Your happiest and stuff. moment ever. Yeah. And that's so different from like, just think about something really human. Uh, I don't know. Like yeah, maybe like that, that test. Comparison. Yeah. <laughs> so Rachel is going to morph this shrew. Well, she's morphed it in order to get Fluffer out of the tree. And mm-hmm. it does not make any sense for Rachel to be the one to morph the shrew. Literally any other person of them, except for Tobias, because he can't morph. But anybody else could have morphed shrew. And then Rachel could have gotten the cat while they were morphed. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that didn't Wait, make any sense. What is the reason that they state this, that they give for this? They, they, I don't think they do, because then afterwards Jake is like, oh, I should have done it. Yeah. I really well, think it's just for now, the... Jake, because well, right. she's narrating it. No, well... Maybe, but I think it was for the racial shrew comparison. Oh, right. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Okay. So then they're like, yeah, let's do this some other night. Which was, I, th- I thought that was nice. It was like, and and they, she said later, like, oh, like the next day, Marco and I both had papers that we needed to write. And then the next day was Cassie's dad's birthday. So we couldn't yeah. do it then. But then the day after that, we did it. And I was like, nice. It's like teaching yeah. priorities. You know what I mean? It's like school yeah. comes first. Family comes first then you can focus on fighting the Yerks. Yeah. Well, also, the one of the things that came out of them postponing the mission for another night is we get to have these, like, nightmare scenes with Rachel. No, but, no, they could have said, like, oh, we'll do it tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. I know Rachel has this paper due, but we're just going to do it anyway. You know what I mean? But they postponed it by three days. Ah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. 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 Okay, so, yeah, we Rachel has a terrible nightmare about being a shrew and then she wakes up and then throws up which is i've never thrown up after a nightmare i know i was thinking that that. extremely intense but i guess i've never had a nightmare about like eating something gross yeah actually let's uh, this i want to have a dramatic reading of maybe you could do a dramatic reading from here i crawled back into my bed the pillow was soaked with sweat The sheets were clammy. Maggots. Squirming, crawling, busy little white maggots. They were all over a piece of rotting meat and fur. In my dream, it was a dead cat. A dead cat covered with vermin eating the decayed flesh. A shrew was getting in on the feast, eating the dead flesh and the living maggots with equal enjoyment. In my dream, I knew... I was that shrew. That was an excellent dramatic reading. Thank, Thank you. you. But also, like, what the hell? You know? I think she just loves a... Kay Applegate just loves a chance to, like, flex her gore muscles. You know? I know. It's like... It's horror, but in, like, a different way than you normally think of. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was It was good. It's like, you are the monster that you're afraid of. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which like, comes up a lot. She is going to morph both the shrew and the cat. 
So I think it was, you know, particularly good that they're eating a dead cat. Oh, yeah. The cat was good. Yeah. The cat was good. Anyway, thanks for that. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, so then that sets her up. So then she has this conversation with Jake on the school bus about yeah. the nightmares that she's been having. And they, they talk about how hard it is and, and just generally, I don't know, they're like having a bad time, I guess. And then also in the same scene, Rachel sees Melissa and sees that she's been crying. And there's just this little short section where Rachel's like, oh my gosh, Melissa has, you know, become this, this person who's like completely different. Like she must be going through so much, blah, blah, blah. And I saw these scenes as kind of normalizing or like validating the sort of teen angst Mm -hmm. phase that a lot of people go through where like Jake, for example, says, yeah, sometimes when I'm feeling depressed, I just wish I could morph dog or something. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, Jake, I feel that. And just like talking about being in a bad mood or like wishing that you could escape and like things like that and seeing somebody else who's crying. I felt like it was Mm -hmm. a nice little nod to mental health. Yeah. And I think it also is really good at connecting with, you know, kids who are going through things, maybe not a space invasion. No, no, I know. Exactly. I was thinking like, wow, if I were like a 13 year old reading this. No, yeah, that was me. I was like, wow, these Animorphs have problems too, you know? Well, yeah, because Jake's, Jake used the word depressed. He Mm -hmm. was like, when I'm feeling depressed, Mm -hmm. I wish that I could morph dog. And I'm like, oh, that's I definitely feel that like I you know sometimes when you're feeling depressed you just want to like get away from it all yeah oh also so in the same chapter they're like hopefully we'll never have to morph bugs that would suck well later in the book Jake morphs a flea yeah (laughs) well but then that's not that bad but anyway maybe we can talk about that more in the spoiler zone yes um well there this is kind of we can bring this to the non-spoiler zone but they're constantly being like wow wouldn't it suck if we did that and then just doing it um, well, yeah, Rachel's like, what are you going to do? Morph a flea and hop on my back? And then Jake's oh, yeah. like, actually, yes, exactly that. I wanted to ask you if you if you had remembered this book or if when you read that, you like thought, oh, he's going to do that immediately or if it was like a surprise to you that he had morphed a flea. So this time around, mm-hmm. she said that and I was like, oh, yeah, they should just do that. And then I thought that what was going to happen was they're going to be like, oh, yeah, let's do that. But then they like didn't. And mm-hmm. I was like. That's weird. Why wouldn't they just do that? Because, you know, I've, I'm very used to, I mean, I read all the books already. I'm like used to them do like morphing small things to like yeah. spy on people, whatever. And then they did it and I was like, oh, okay. And I was also wondering, like, did Rachel give them the idea or were they like already thinking about it? Yeah. I don't know. I was trying to think about this when I read it the first time. I don't know what I thought would happen because fleas are like so small. In my mind, I was like, could they even do that that impossible yeah like could you do that i think the first time i read it i might have been let like expecting it less Mm -hmm. even though the way she says it it like perfectly sets it up yeah but yeah this time around i knew it was happening okay interesting okay yeah so melissa's been crying and then rachel runs into chapman and then she has this interaction where she you know admits that she's been having bad dreams and then chapman is like nightmares aren't real you know and then he smiles so I, I was thinking about this, and I was, like, wondering whether, like, is it Chapman's Yerk imitating a good vice principal who's consoling a little girl? Or is it, like, Chapman's Yerk being ironic and being like, haha, nightmares aren't real, I'll crush you all, you humans, I'm your nightmares come to life, and then smiling 
at like the fact that he is going to wipe out the human race. Well, I was I was confused about this because when I was reading that, I was like, that's such a shit thing to say to a kid who's like, oh, I've been having some bad nightmares. You know what I mean? Like, oh, they're just not real. Mm-hmm. Just don't think about that. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. like, just imagine being an adult talking to a kid like in this situation. You would never say something like that. You'd be like, oh, that's like... Oh, that's okay. Like I'm here, whatever. You know what I mean? Everyone Different has from, like, bad dreams, or like. Yeah. So, so I was thinking that's a terrible thing to say. Like that's not going to cheer a kid up. But I imagine that um, Chapman's year is basically always just trying to like do what Chapman would do. Mm-hmm. Especially given his position in, in like the community, it's probably especially important for him to just like make sure he doesn't do anything weird ever. Mm-hmm. So I had kind of just imagined that he was doing what Chapman would do. So I was thinking maybe Chapman's just like bad at consoling kids. But I hadn't thought about your unrealistic. Yeah. Right, but he's such a good dad. True. So I would have imagined that he'd be better. But um but yeah, I hadn't really thought about him being like ironic per se. I mean, the smiling really spoke to me about that. I know, yeah, but it's just so we like so I guess my first instinct like you would, would do be, like a look of concern. You wouldn't. Smile. Well, no, yeah. Well, that's why I thought it was weird because my first instinct would be like, oh, he's being like a bad guy mm-hmm. and like threatening Rachel. But a, he has no reason to threaten Rachel, and b, like I said, he has no reason to act like a bad guy right now. He has every reason to act like Chapman. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think it's kind of one of those things where like, it just seems like it doesn't make sense with what you would expect from this character in this situation i don't know i feel like the reading of it as chapman's yerk fulfilling his duties as a vice principal and also having like an ironic chuckle to himself i like that reading Um, so then we go to um outside the chapman's house yeah rachel and marco have finished their papers right and cassie's dad had his birthday all that stuff yeah then um I don't know, they're having, like, some kind of discussion where Marco's being all, like, Marco-y. And I thought it was a nice... Well, she then, like, references it later, of course, but she's like, I know why I'm doing this, Marco. I think it's interesting that Rachel said that because, like, a lot of the beginning of the series is establishing everyone's buy-in, right? Mm -hmm. And so Rachel says, I know why I'm doing this, Marco. But then, like, the ensuing experience is really, like, by the end, she's like, I'm doing this for Melissa and whatever, so... This is, like, a little bookend. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Um, So then she morphs Fluffer, and it's apparently really great. Morphing cats is just awesome. Is this the book where she talks about, like, gymnastics? And, like, being a cat and, like, gymnastics? She would be a really great gymnast. Uh, Cats are, like, liquid steel. They have really awesome night vision, etc. Yeah, and then so she, like, tells the cat brain that Chapman... Is their prey now? Oh, yeah. That was a really interesting scene. I didn't know that tomcats were this predatory. Well, I mean, I feel like wasn't Kay Applegate just like looking at encyclopedias and like Yeah, deciding... did she even Google this? Well, no, I don't Probably think Google existed, no, right? So, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. And she's like, she drops cat's night vision is eight times stronger than humans. Like, oh, is yeah, that just, she just like, an accepted, yeah. like, eight times? How do you even measure that? Well, she she said that she, like, did a lot of research in encyclopedias, right? No, so I... she probably, like, saw that. So she tells the cat brain that Chapman's prey, and they're like, all right, we're going to, like, hunt Chapman. 
So she's having a lot of fun being a cat, stop like literally stalking mm-hmm. Chapman. So she follows Chapman down to the basement of his house, and there's this cool hologram thing going on. Basically, he goes into the secret room in his basement, like off the side of his basement, I guess, which again speaks to like he must have been a controller for like a while to yeah. have that whole thing put in. We can also talk about that during the super spoilers zone. Okay. Uh, And so Rachel, via Fluffer, hears Melissa in her room talking to herself. And she notices that the Chapman's house is very strange because they're not listening to music or amusing themselves as they, like, go about their business. Which I think is a kind of interesting window into, like, the Yerk psyche. Wait, actually, yeah, I want to talk about that later at the end. Oh, man, so many things to talk about. Um... Okay, so this goes back to, I think you said this in the, in the like, last episode, mm-hmm. but um, the cat seems to smell the yerk in Chapman's brain. Right, yeah. Which is like, okay, great. So I guess animals can smell yerks now. But then it's kind of not utilized, which you'd think it, it would be. So I think this is another thing that Applegate is maybe experimenting with and then she just drops. We'll we'll come back to it, I guess. Okay, yeah. So she goes down. So she's like spying on Chapman who's talking to Visitor 3 through this like hologram device. Mm -hmm. And then Visitor 3 like spots her. You know, she's toast, obviously. But one thing that was awesome, Visitor 3 loves cats. I know. He's so into cats. Yeah, I think that's some interesting character development for him. It's like, you know previously he's been like this horrible evil villain right mm-hmm. but now he likes cats you know well but now he he's a villain cats. who I mean, which i guess is a classically villain thing to do like maybe he needs to get a cat so he can like stroke it well yeah and and i mean the thing that he likes about cats is like how they are hunters and they never back down in the face of fear or whatever just like, like house cats yeah yeah, um, no, I know. Well, but then he's also like, oh, this is like that other thing ooh, that I saw. That big cat. Before. Yeah, that yeah. was amazing, too. As in, i.e., like the ti- tiger that Jake yeah. morphed in the first book. And like, well, so first of all, I think that's very perceptive of him to draw the connection between a tiger and a house cat because mm-hmm. they're very different animals and he's like an alien, you know? Yeah. So that was cool. Um, as far as aliens go, he's probably pretty versed in like, biology maybe not formally but through experiencing morphing a lot and also yerks are probably more familiar with biology than average because they like take control of their different hosts yeah that's true no but the cats are awesome yeah no he's definitely super into cats i'm imagining him like walking into a pet store being like interesting show me all of your kittens They could be trained to be hunting machines. Oh, gosh. That oh, would my be, gosh. Wow. A sequel, Mr. Three and his cat army. Yeah, it could have just been, that was the filler book that we needed, you know? That actually would be awesome to, like, see, like... Kind of a day like in the Visser, life. Visser, but for Visser Three. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, we learn at this point that Chapman is a voluntary controller. Mm-hmm. But I don't think in the scene we learn, like, what exactly that was about. Mm-hmm. That comes up later, but it's like, oh my gosh, Chapman's a voluntary controller, of course. All yeah. assistant principles are evil. I could have told you that. Yeah. Yeah, so Visitor 3 sees Rachel, but then she convincingly portrays a cat by swiping at his hologram. So then she's kind of off the hook. Which also impresses him. Yeah. He's like, oh my gosh, it's not even afraid. Um, He, yeah, everyone else is afraid of Visitor 3, you know? Like First there's book. Elfangor and then there's a house cat. Those are like the two things on planet Earth. 
so far that have not been afraid of Wizard 3. Well, so yeah. I think that definitely highlights how great cats are. Are you like a cat person or something? I I didn't want to come out as a cat person like this, but you know, I guess now is a good time. Well, I like dogs and you like cats. Yeah, let's just go with that. All of our millions of listeners, if you have a preference for cats versus dogs, send us an email at sulpnearpool at gmail.com. Nice, nice. Yeah. Okay, so back to the book. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Then the scene with Melissa. Mm-hmm. They're out of the basement, and then Melissa is, asks for help with her homework, but then just gets rejected. This is oh like, my gosh, yeah. This was a super sad scene. I had forgotten kind of how touching the scenes with Melissa were. I yeah, was, same. When I was remembering this book, I was like, oh yeah, Melissa Chapman, she's just kind of, you know, wishy-washy, and then like nothing ever happens to her again. Like before rereading, I remembered the scene where like, which actually comes right after this, where like Rachel goes to Melissa's room mm-hmm. as the cat and is like purring for Melissa and stuff. I remembered that and I was like, oh, that was really sweet. I forgot about how like, I don't know, just like, dark this part is where it's like melissa basically like comes down we already saw that she was like trying to do math homework she comes down into the like kitchen where her parents are and she's like hey can you guys help me with my math homework and they're like no you should really do it yourself like we don't want to and she was like oh but it's just it's just what i don't remember what it was yeah square roots and i'm just having trouble with this one thing and then the mom is like yeah those are hard but you'll get it it's fine. Like, this is how you learn, whatever. And then, and they just, like, don't even care about her. Like, the mm-hmm. way that she describes, like, the parents not even caring about her. And then she, Melissa's, like, so just broken. She goes upstairs and Rachel's like, oh my god. The Yerks, like, took away... Because also, you know that the parents are, like, in there somewhere, like, watching this whole thing happening and being like, oh my god, this is my worst nightmare, you know? And Rachel's there, and she knows all of that, and it's like... It is a pretty compelling, like, reason to fight. Oh, yeah. Like, before this, I'd been like, okay, Jake has his brother, Tobias is a hawk. (laughs) Tobias Uh, has no choice. Spoilers for book four, spoilers for book five. But then Rachel's like, yeah... The Visitor, that's like a mediocre book that is like kind of them just feeling their anamorph oats. But no, this was actually a really compelling reason to fight. Yeah, well, it's also like, because you see a scene with Rachel's mom. And and she yeah. makes that comparison too. Rachel's like, you know, I don't see my dad as much as I'd like to because of like my parents' divorce and stuff. But like, my parents love me. And like, yeah. I know that they love me. Mm-hmm. And I, and that's just like normal for me. Yeah. But, like, to not feel loved by your parents, yeah. which, like, is a real, it's like a real downer. So right. it, like, it really gets to you. I, and yeah. I, like, for me, this is, like, one of the saddest scenes, pro- probably one of the saddest scenes in the series. Like, I know there are, like, you know, a lot of really right. sad scenes, yeah. but this is, like, you know, it is very sad. Yeah. Well, it's also, I think Melissa maybe is more childlike than the Animorphs. Well, she's, and she's like, like, more, more innocent. innocent. Yeah. Yeah. So when bad things happen to the animorphs, it's like that's sad. But when, like, when Melissa gets rejected by her parents, that's a kid, like an innocent yeah, you're kid. Like, Come who's... on, she's just trying to do her math homework. You I know. know. Like, cut her a break. Like, she didn't ask for this. Hmm. I don't know. Anyway. Wait, is this the scene where she's like, "What did I do, Fluffer?" So like, she comes down to the kitchen and she's like, "Can you help me with my homework?" And her parents are like, 
no, we don't love you or whatever. Yeah, then she and goes then to cry she upstairs. She goes upstairs. Yeah, exactly. And then she talks to Rachel about. Yeah, you know, and that she's was like, "What part. did I do? Yeah, why don't they love me? Why don't they love me anymore?" Yeah, that's that's like very. Yeah, and then that leads into so like upsetting. Rachel's love is like a suit of armor. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's which fine. is like a very. I like that warrior like metaphor. You know, she wasn't like. Love is like a warm blanket. Maybe Cassie would have said that. But no, Rachel's like, love is like a suit of armor. Well, that is like, that's like a central argument in, in the Harry Potter books is yeah. like, you have love on your side and that's how you're going to win. No, yeah, you no, know? literally. Like, no, you really, that's... literally have the power of that's love. That's what it is. Like, that's how you're going to win. That's your Isn't biggest Isn't it like weapon. the, um... No, actually, never mind. I thought I, I thought I knew stuff about Harry Potter, but I don't. <laughs> I mean, Okay. <laughs> So yeah, so then Rachel is like, okay, now I've decided I hate the Yerks. They're the worst evil I've ever seen. But she also, like, she did see that scene with um, Mr. and Mrs. Chapman are, like, debriefing from his conversation with Mr. Three. And they're like, oh my god, he morphed that thing. Like, that's so scary. And I think Mr. Chapman is saying that he, like, doesn't like Mr. Three and, like, wishes that the Council of Thirteen would just see that Mr. Three's messing up and, like, punish him for it. But in the meantime, Chapman has to, like, watch his own back because Mr. Three can punish him. And so you're like, oh, wow. So there is, like, a power structure here. Mm -hmm. And they are, they're, like, trying to follow their boss's orders so they don't get knocked. Like, so, so, and Rachel sees that. So I thought it was interesting because even though she sees that, which to me kind of, quote unquote, humanized the Yerks in a way, because it's like, oh, they have their own pressures that they're dealing with. So Rachel sees that, but she's not thinking that. She's thinking about Melissa and, like, taking parents away from kid. And it's a very human-centric way of seeing the world, which Mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see if we see different perspectives on that. Okay, so Rachel gets out of the house uh, all in one piece. She flies back to the church. Um, The others have kind of sensed that something is wrong. Cassie, in particular... Because she's, you know, really empathetic. She's in tune with that. Oh, yeah. And Tobias has this special bond with her. So he kind of... Oh, yeah. Tobias and Rachel seem to get each other. I mean, I like that they leave it like that for now, you know? Oh, yeah. Okay. So then they decide to do the mission again, basically, because they still don't know where the Kendrana is. Oh, right. Because they didn't actually get all the information they wanted. Yeah. So this is kind of just like a redo of the same mission. So then... The next chapter opens with... Oh, yeah. It was a dark and stormy night. Nice. Sorry. I've always wanted to write that. But... Exactly. Okay, so can I talk about my theory now? Sure, yeah. Okay. So something that I think about a lot with Animorphs books that you and I have discussed before, but not with our many listeners, is sometimes they'll get into this voice in the books where they're like talking to you. Like Mm -hmm. it feels like they're talking to you. Like they're very colloquial. For example... It was a dark and stormy night. Oh, sorry. I just really wanted to write that. Or when she goes, oh, I don't want to talk about that. You'll have to ask Jake. It brings up this question to me of like, in the Animorph universe, how are they writing these books? Because one thing that I like about first person narratives is like often there's like a story of how this book came to be. For example, yeah, Dracula is like that. Meta story. Yeah. Dracula is like that. Sherlock Holmes is like that. Watson's yeah. like, oh, I'm publishing these articles. You yeah. know what I mean? And, that's and in like Hound of the Baskervilles, that gets him into trouble because Sherlock gets famous because of Sherlock Holmes. I know. And then they like, no. Anyway, sorry. All this right. is not a Sherlock Holmes <laughs> podcast. But um, 
So I like think about that sometimes. So she says, sorry, I've always wanted to write that. Mm-hmm. So like she's writing it. So my whole theory, which I've had for like a while, which is that they're using like a wrinkle in time esque device where they like talk and then it gets written down and like this is the future. So like that's possible. That's like not that's not necessarily it. But there is something going on where they're writing down what's happening. Yeah, I think I think they're just then, writing like, them why? along the way. Just like do they all keep diaries? Like it would be so dangerous for them to keep diaries at this point in the in the plot. Yeah, you know what I mean. Because like, like if anybody found them, like they're thing done. To do is snoop on your sibling and read their diary. Yeah, which is why I feel like it must be, if not at the very end of the series, like later on mm-hmm. in the series. I buy that. They sort of decided that it would be helpful to have a record of things, mm-hmm. and then they they all like had this writing project where they like wrote yeah. all these books. They're like, Jake, you do every fifth mission. We'll take turns. Um, no, they decided to take turns. Yeah. Tobias doesn't have as many turns because no, he's a hawk. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Maybe we should bring him back. So it was a dark and stormy night. Um, Jake has stayed home. So, so oh, yeah. <laughs> and Cassie's <laughs> acting weird. Cassie pets and Rachel the, and smiles mysteriously. This happened in the first book, too. They were like, well, Cassie's not here, but probably everything's normal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now she's like, well, Jake's not here, but probably he's just at home so yeah so Cassie the clever r- listener has probably figured out that she is putting jake onto rachel well yeah because rachel was like what are you gonna do more, more of a flea and then ride on my back and they're like that would be ridiculous rachel falls chapman into the basement and then jake is like so what's happening now Jake's like jake's so useless as a flea he keeps waiting until like the worst moment she's like dodging kicks from chapman and like different weapons and like assaults and he's like so what's going on so what's the plan so Rachel? how's it going up there so uh what's happening now and she's like i cannot do this <laughs> okay so then viscer three rings up chapman then rachel tells jake that viscer three actually saw her last time and then jake goes all leaderly and is like are you crazy in all caps Oh right, they hadn't. Kn- the rest of the team hadn't known what had happened exactly in that like basement because that like the the first time because Tobias had lost, lost the thought, thought speak signal. range, yeah, from Rachel. Oh, also, so it sounds like Visser three and Chapman had this like nightly Skype session at yeah, exactly that's eight o'clock, pretty frequent. Which is like yeah, that's bad. Like so, they're pretty close. That's like the worst work life balance I could imagine is <laughs> <laughs> skyping with your murderous boss. At 8 p.m. every night. Oh my god, 8 p.m. That's like yeah. not working hours. But also, like, I guess I didn't realize He's how not high up Chapman overtime. must be yeah. to be like, because I mean, Mister Three is probably not skyping like 10 people no, I think, every day. It's I think Chapman, Chapman is like the direct link, you know? Yeah, which is like really the assistant principal. That's the one because oh, there yeah. are controllers like in the police force. Like, I feel like that fits his kind of administrative position. Because if you're like working currently on infiltrating the police force, maybe you can't really be doing these nightly Skype calls. Oh, that's you know? true. Yeah. But Chapman just has like an assistant principal job and a daughter. Oh my gosh! I just realized. Find it neglect. Chapman is the assistant principal. I like it. And he's the like assistant to the principal bad guy. Yeah, well, yeah, you, you get it, right? Yeah, yeah, I get it. Principal, principal, yeah. Well, yeah, his job is, like, the same. Both yeah. his, like... Well, I'm gonna suck for him. <laughs> yeah, those are two <laughs> terrible jobs. Maybe he just, like, looks at the principal and is like, I wish I could depose him right now. <laughs> and then he looks at, he looks at like, Mr. 3, and he's like, I wish I could just have a board meeting right now. <laughs> wow, yeah. <laughs> his life kind of sucks. Okay, but we're getting ahead of ourselves, so... 
So they're Skyping. <laughs> they're chilling. Um, and then Rachel, like, reveals herself somehow. Uh, Chapman kicks Rachel because she's been hiding under the table. She meows. S- yeah, scared cat noise. And then tells Jake, we're busted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Jake's like, what? What happened? <laughs> and yeah. then, uh, so yeah, so then Visitor 3 sees her and tells Chapman, like, all right, that's an analyte. You got to catch it. Yeah. Chapman's like, but I, huh. But like he d- he does. It's eight p.m. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> understandable, Chapman. Okay. Oh, okay. Wait, but then so then the best thing ever happens. So Visser Three tells Chapman to kill Rachel. I mean to well catch her, and then yeah. um, and he's like, okay, yeah. So then he goes up the stairs, and because oh, and then Visser Three's like, oh, and you should get the girl too, i.e. Melissa. Mm-hmm. So Chapman like starts going up the stairs to get Melissa, but then he like can't anymore. He's like. But we had an agreement with the human Chapman, and Vester 3's like, no, 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 we're not gonna, no, I'm done with that agreement. We're gonna get the girl, we need to kill her, or whatever, make her a controller. She can't be part of this equation anymore. And then human Chapman freaks out. He's like, no way, that's not okay. So then you just see this awesome, did you not think this was awesome? I thought this was awesome. No, I thought it was awesome. It's like a really interesting mental image. I know. I like, like picture some picture. actor trying to do this. How would you do that? I know. I was thinking about that for uh, the like live action TV show. Yeah, that we're gonna it direct. would be like so. Yeah, yeah. You just need a really talented actor. Yeah. So you have Chapman, human Chapman, rebels against the Yerk inside Innes. him. Innes. Yeah. So he like is struggling to move, and then Mrs. Chapman basically has the same thing happen. She starts like slapping herself or something. Yeah, and then. I think Chapman is trying to choke himself out. Anyway, so that's, and I don't know. I was like very uplifted when I read that part. I kind of was not. Really? Yeah. What, what do you mean? Because I knew it was like, I knew that the Yerks were going to assert control at the end of the fight. So it was just like, it's like even our best, most powerful effort, even the love of a parent for their child cannot surmount the yerk control over the host brain oh no but i feel like the yerk was so shaken though yeah he was pretty rattled considering the fact that the yerk like has complete control over the human's brain Mm -hmm. for the human to be like no you're not gonna like run up the stairs and get my daughter like to the yerk that was probably like impossible Mm -hmm. you know okay eventually the chapman's or the innocents reassert themselves over the chapman's yeah but they are tired oh yeah and then <laughs> then they trap Rachel in the cat carrier under threat of dragon beam and then bring her to the abandoned construction site. Classic. The place where it all began. Oh yeah, I guess I missed the part that this was happening at the construction site, but I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Um. Oh my gosh, but while they're on their way, another heartbreaking scene, Melissa comes out and she's like, what are you doing with Fluffer? And he just, like, doesn't care. And she, like, starts crying. And this was actually very, like, heroic on the part of the Animorphs. But they... They air They're, drop. like, the only way for us to stop Melissa... Because basically they know that if Melissa sees what's happening, they'll just take her and make her a controller, too. Or kill yeah. her or whatever. Probably make her a controller. So the Animorphs are like, okay, we need to, like, calm her down so that she doesn't come with us. So Rachel thought speaks to Tobias, who, like, gets actual Fluffer to, like, run up to Melissa. Mm-hmm. And then Chapman's like, oh, yeah... That's the real fluffer. This one that I've got here is just a different cat that I need to get rid of. And the Melissa's like, filth. right. And the Melissa's like, 
well, why didn't you tell me that? I was like screaming at you the whole time. And, and then he's he like, drops, I didn't notice Exactly. You. He's oh. like, oh, I didn't notice. And she's like, I was like crying. Like, this is his daughter. She was screaming. She was like sobbing, you know? Yeah, her life is rough. He's like, oh, I didn't, I don't know. Anyway, it's just more of the same, basically. Yeah. Okay, so they take off to the construction site. Rachel's like, Jake, you have to leave. <laughs> yeah, that was Jake's like, I'm not going to leave. Then she's like, you have to leave. I'll scratch you off. And he's like, okay, I'm going to leave. But then he doesn't And then, leave. well, and then she's like, Jake, I changed my mind. I want you to come back. And then he doesn't answer. And she's like, okay, whew, he left. Nice. It's setting up that already it's like no Animorph left behind. Like each individual Animorph has the mindset like. Go without me. Yeah. Like I'd rather die. I'd, it's okay if I die, fight on without me. But then collectively Animorphs have the mindset like no Animorph left behind. Yeah. I mean, I yes. I'm, I would guess that for Jake, and probably like if Marco were in the situation too, it was it was also like a calculated decision. Yeah. Like they wouldn't just do that if their odds of winning then were worse. You know what I mean? But he thought it would, he could make it. But he thought he could make it. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I'm sure he thought about it. So then V3 uh, comes, <laughs> that's Ooh, how he is in my V3. notes. <laughs> he, he comes down to the abandoned construction site with all these Hork-Bajir okay, wait. and his taxons. I'm going to stop you right there. Okay. They, they talk about Hork-Bajir a lot and like compare them to salad shooters. What is a salad shooter? Full disclosure, I do not know. They, they compare them to like weed whackers, which is like not a super great comparison either. Well, according to my good friend Google, a salad shooter is, seems like it's a device to, um, uh, what's the word? It's kind of like a food processor, I guess. Like, you put food in, mm-hmm. you, like, do a thing I mean, to the plastic device, and then it comes out as, like, slices. It's just meant to convey, like, blades everywhere. Well, yeah, but the thing is, like, a salad shooter doesn't actually have blades everywhere. Well, I guess they do have blades, but they're definitely not the way that I imagine a hork to be. <laughs> the salad shooter is not humanoid. <laughs> so, yeah, then Visser 3 is trying to intimidate Rachel, but then she hides behind Fluffer McKitty's instincts. And then we have more Visser 3 cat admiration, because he's looking at Chapin, who's all scratched up. And oh, he's yeah. like, hilarious. <laughs> he's like, nice. First of all, great job beating up on my underling. Second of all, <laughs> I really admire cats. This is the beginning of a beautiful relationship between yeah. Visser 3 and cats. Well, also, Visser 3 has an interesting relationship with Andalites. So in previously, he said, it's been a while since I tortured a proud Andalite warrior. So he has this adversarial relationship, but also he's... He is an Andalite, though. Yeah, so he has a lot of respect for Andalites. He's not the, like, ugh, Andalite filth. Right, because he, like, is an Andalite. They're, like, a hated foe that I really want to vanquish. It's kind of like... I can still admire how they scratch up Chapman. So in Pokemon, again? Okay, yeah. You have, like, a rival. Have you played Pokemon? No. Okay, we're so, losing no, no, but I tens have, of I'm, listeners. This is my second Pokemon sorry, reference sorry, sorry. this podcast. That's fine. We have a good like spread, I think, of the references we can make. Okay. So in Pokemon, you have a rival. And depending on the game you play, sometimes it's... But sometimes your rival is like this childhood friend that you grew up with who then now can be kind of a dick. They'll be like mean to you and be like, oh, you only have this many Pokemon? Or like, let me show you how good I am. So I'm kind of envisioning that kind of thing where it's like respect and in some ways admiration, but also I must destroy you. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was a tangent. Okay. So then we have a boss battle. Um, Is that correct? 
Yeah, I mean, first there's a scene where human Chapman is allowed to talk to Visser 3. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so I, don't, I guess I don't super remember the details, but basically Chapman, I mean, like, controller Chapman is talking to Visser 3 about taking Melissa, right? Yeah. And then Chapman's like, well, we did promise the human Chapman that we wouldn't do that, and that was how he, like, allowed us to take him as controller. And Visser 3 is like, yeah, that was stupid. Like, wait, I don't care about that. And then Chapman is like, oh, the human would like to speak with you directly. And Visser 3 somehow, like, allows this, which was surprising. So then human Chapman gains control of his body, which was crazy because he, like, I guess hasn't had control of it for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so he was struggling to stand, to move, and also to speak. It was, like, a huge effort, I guess. I don't know. On the one hand, Chapman was being very brave and strong and also kind of like menacing like mm -hmm. don't know my daughter is yeah like, his line is the girl is no threat but i am and he does say that like, like as he stands up straight and like gains control of his body mm -hmm. and you're like whoa that's awesome good but thing we hired time, this super talented actor right but at the same time the visual is not very intimidating <laughs> you know and you're like okay yeah, yeah and then visitor three laughs and pushes human chapman back but then they eventually conclude that, sure, the girl can stay free for now. It would be inconvenient to have to fight this host. And then Jake says, so what's happening now? I know. And then we uh, jump into like, the boss well, battle. I'm kind of in the middle of a boss battle here, Jake. Oh, yeah. So the Animorphs have somehow commandeered an Earth Mover and, like, drive it in. Yeah, they don't really go into the details. Yeah. Well, Jake hops off to demorph and remorph. Rachel demorphs just enough to get opposable thumbs and then unlocks. She lets herself out of the cat carrier. Yeah, that's pretty good because you have to control. Like, you can't grow in size that much. Yeah. I don't know. How strong are cat carriers? Can you just, like, hulk out of them? It probably depends on the cat carrier. Like, yeah. they could be made out of different things. We don't really get that much detail. Yeah. Oh, one thing I liked is um, when he was talking to his wife, York Chapman was like, get me the cage that we use to bring the cat to the vet like he doesn't say a cat carrier oh yeah also it's like a reference because they're bringing the cat to the vet the vet being visitor three yeah but anyway it's kind of a stretch <laughs> yeah that's well you know that's what we're here for well what are we doing we're taking the cat to the vet that's how i imagine the like bad animorphs remake <laughs> not our remake yeah so there's a fight it ends like pretty much how all animorphs battles end visitor three takes the time to morph some huge monster and the Animorphs run away, just as he... Well, we've only seen two boss battles so far. Right, but this yeah, is similar spoilers to the first for the rest book. of the series, but... Well, uh... no, I was I was going to say it's remarkable that basically in this book and the last book, they just get away. Mm -hmm. This didn't really happen in the first book as much, but in this book, they're like, oh, yeah, we did it. Yeah. But like, no, you didn't actually do anything. Well, they had that awesome scene where Rachel is leaping and then Tobias, oh, yeah, Air Force Tobias, her. grabs her and yeah. takes her away. I mean, that is cool. And they are like learning how to use their morphs better and stuff. But I just thought no, they were like, oh, yeah, we did it. But it's no, like, they were like right back where they started. They didn't even get to figure out the Candrona thing, which they were like trying to do in the first place. That's gonna have to wait. Yeah. Oh, and Rachel has left a note for Melissa. Telling Melissa, telling Melissa that, that her parents love her. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so that's pretty much the book. Roll credits. Anything um, else you wanted to say before we transition? So do you have thoughts about the book overall? I would say 
considering that it's a Rachel book, and Rachel's not normally very sentimental, it's a pretty sentimental book. Yeah. You know? I think I said at the beginning that Rachel, especially like early Rachel, is kind of annoying to me. But the things that she sees and like thinks about in this book are very deep. And for me, Mm -hmm. this book is very like so much about watching your friend like go through something terrible and like Mm -hmm. watching a bad family situation and like what that feels like. And I think it's deep. I I like it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I'm imagining this, but I feel like there's a lot in the book that's like thematically related to fear. That makes sense. Do you want to discuss that theme in the book at all? There was like one neat passage that I thought about pushing for a dramatic reading of earlier. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's the fear is like a worm monologue. I don't, I don't have the uh, the monologues. Yeah, sorry. Quite so down pat. Fear is I like a worm, anything. and then you like just finish. You know, I don't. You uh, don't have. I didn't have rehearse this, but I can. Uh... I can audition you. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, maybe think about that, why... Whether fear is like a worm? Well... Yeah. Uh, fear can be slimy. Okay, well, uh... here we go. Oh, okay. So, for context, we're, like, at the construction site, and Visitor 3 is landing. Um, fear is like a worm. Fear is like a worm inside you. It eats you. It chews your guts. It bores holes in your heart. It makes you feel hollow empty, alone, fear. The blade ship landed between two half-finished buildings. The bugfighters came to rest on either side. They looked so strange, parked between the yellow-painted earth movers and graders in the construction site. The earth movers looked like toys. The alien craft looked like deadly weapons. I was afraid. I tried to borrow the cat's courage, his indifference, but then the door of the blade ship opened. I had no courage. Only fear. Thank you. So we'll uh, be in touch. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I think that was really good. Um, I like your dramatic readings. Oh, good. Um, And they're like many other similar rachel's internally discussing fear yeah i guess well we can talk about this in in a couple minutes but reading this after having read the whole series was also interesting because you start thinking about like okay this is rachel at the beginning of the series so i part of me wants to read this as like this is the rachel origin story you know what i mean yeah like she has this like emotional scene with with melissa and then she's like all right that's it i hate the yurks i want to do everything i can to stop them like Mm -hmm. let's let's do it let's kill them all you know, and then she like becomes the Rachel that we know and love, mm-hmm. and that kind of plays into your fear thing. There's no room for fear when you're busy hating the Yerks, you know. Yeah, well, so I think Rachel's focus on fear highlights her warrior mentality. Well, but the thing, but that's what I'm saying. She doesn't have the warrior mentality in this book. Yeah, but she's she's still cognizant that like fear is present, is bad. I see it in all these places, and I want to strive to not be afraid yeah i want to harness i want courage. to be brave yeah yeah i want to be brave yeah yeah not all the animorphs have that sentiment you know i would i would say she's the only one that specifically talks about like being brave yeah. versus being afraid yeah yeah so so i think this book kind of like you said sets that sets this up pretty well 
Did you have any other things? No, I'm good. Just, uh, yeah, pick a random one. Okay. I can't believe you've done this. <laughs> All right, yeah. Let the record show that I picked the first page. Well, good thing it was shuffled then. <laughs> well, yeah, I figured you shuffled it so I could just pick the first page. All right, we'll fix this in the next podcast. All right, so we're looking at page 76 here. Um, it's the Host Rebellion page. Oh, good. I like it. This is actually pretty good. Wait, so what do we do with this page now? We select a random, not a random, we select a passage from it that we think would make for a fruitful, close reading. Maybe you could All right. suggest yeah, I've several. got one. And then maybe yeah, you could read yeah. that. There's one that's the best. Do you want me to just read it? Yeah, go ahead. Chapman looked at his wife, or at least the yerk slug in Chapman's brain ordered his eyes to look toward the body that was controlled by a different yerk. It was harder now to think of Chapman as just being Chapman. I had seen proof that there were two creatures inside him. Is that one okay? Yeah, I like it. Yeah, so Chapman looked at his wife. So there's this Chapman looked at his wife, or at least the yerk slug in Chapman's brain ordered his eyes to look toward the body. Yeah, so Rachel is kind of like getting it, I guess. Like normally when you look at a controller, you don't think of it as like a yerk and a host together mm -hmm. you just think of it as like that's controller yeah but she's seeing both of them right now yeah and she's having the same difficulty we are she previously has been using chapman to refer to like controller chapman mm -hmm. but she like is says it was harder now to think of chapman as just being chapman so chapman there could be yeah does that mean it is it harder to think of yerk as just being the yerk or is it harder to think of the human as just being the human yeah. Or is it hard? Or like, I think what she means is like both. Yeah. You know? So so I, I, I like that kind of ambiguity. Mm -hmm. um, also, two creatures. So like, creature is kind of derogatory, arguably. Um, you could call a yerk a creature. But then also, this human is a creature. Well, I don't know if I would call it derogatory as much as like, when you say creature... It's like referring to something as not a person. And it makes sense because I I see, I get calling a yerk a creature. Mm -hmm. Calling the mind of human Chapman a creature to me is more like saying it's not exactly a human. It's like a mind, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe she didn't want to drop the word consciousness or something like that. Yeah. I mean, is she that, is that what you think of the word creature? No, no, no. I just think creature is saying, like, there's this thing. It's not a person. Yeah. It's, it's just a creature, you know? It's an entity. Yeah like, yeah, like a being. Yeah, I see. Anyway. Okay. Well, shall we head to the super spoiler zone? Yes, definitely. If you have not read the complete series, um, I'm Diana. I'm Andrew. And we enjoyed having you here with us today. There's nothing left for you. Please leave. Goodbye. There's um, nothing to see here. Yeah. Take care. We'll see you next time. Bye. Goodbye. Uh, <clears throat>